0: Hello there. Welcome to the Maker Manager Money podcast, a podcast about entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, founders, business owners, and business partnerships. From startups to stay-ups, to inspire entrepreneurs to keep going and future entrepreneurs to just start. My name is Kyle Knowles and it's Wednesday evening at Kiln Lehigh. Kiln is the GOAT. They are the Michael Jordan of co-working communities. We're actually in the maker room, if you can believe it. So uh, tie that in to Maker Manager Money. Today's guest is Scott Robbins, founder of Aspen Press. Scott has been in the printing industry since 1989. He spent his first eight years in production, then moved into management and sales positions before founding Aspen Press in 2002. Aspen Press first started doing commercial printing, dove into carton packaging, and recently added flexible packaging to its list of capabilities. Aspen Press and Packaging is a G7 FSC slash SFI and GMP certified commercial printing and packaging company occupying a 100,000 square foot building in Salt Lake City, Utah. They are a two-time winner of Utah's Best of State, and have been ranked nationwide since 2013 among the top 400 printers in Printing Impression Magazine. Welcome to the Maker Manager
1: Money Podcast, Scott. Thank you, sir, Kyle. Did I get that right? That sounds good. It sounds embarrassing for me, but yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Well, why does it sound embarrassing?
1: Yeah, it's just the background that I come from. It doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me to, to throw out all that stuff. I just like to play, you know, kind of fly under the radar. But that is what it is, you well, know?
0: It's a, it's an amazing and an, an impressive run. I You know, I mentioned stay-ups, and you definitely have been a stay-up company, right? It wasn't yeah. something that you just founded and then sold off quickly. And so 2002, you're celebrating your, if I'm doing the math right, you've celebrated your 21st Correct. year anniversary this year. It'll be 22 next year.
1: Yes. Yeah, we made it. I have some great partners. Uh, we've had some that have You know come and gone but the the core group of people there that i guess again i don't like to talk like this but that i've assembled and they've been there i mean from within weeks or months of me starting things so without them you know without me without them together working we wouldn't be where we're at so i'll give them many accolades for sure
0: well, it's really impressive because I've heard that you know eighty uh, percent of businesses go out of business within the first five years. Heard that, and then the next five years after that, another eighty percent go out of business. So you're—I don't know what the percentage is for some, a company being in business over twenty years, but it's very, very small.
1: Yeah, true. Now, when I started it, it was—it was interesting because a lot of the printers that I was actually a, a print broker for a while before I started Aspen Press, and a lot of the printers that I worked for tried to work with back in the day are gone, long gone. And these were the same guys that said, Hey, keep buying good equipment because as soon as you go out of business, then I'm going to buy it cheap. Okay. All right. Let's see how that works for you. But uh, here we are 21 years later. And I think a lot of the guys that have done that are now realtors and, you know, other different and nothing wrong with that. Just they've gone different directions. I guess is what I'm trying to say completely out of the, print industry.
0: Yeah. So in Utah, just let's talk about Utah. You're one of the biggest printers, I assume, in Utah. Yeah. How many big printing companies like yours are there just in the state of Utah? Uh,
1: I thought about that, uh, you know, just kind of thinking about what to talk about in this meeting. I, gosh, there's not a lot. There's a couple of people that are bigger than me. You know, I mean, 100,000 square feet, 120 employees. It's a decent sized printing company at this point uh we run 24 hours a day try to take sundays off as much as we can and sometimes we're playing catch up so but for the most part it's six days a week yeah and we bang a lot of work out
0: it sounds like it i want to get to some of the fun projects that you've uh, started working on recently but let's just um talk about those first 13 years your journey that culminated in starting your own printing company. And, and we can even go further back, right? Let's just talk about your, let's talk about your childhood. No, let's do, let's please get there. Lay, lay hey, down, please. Lay yeah, down on the couch. That's let's, not embarrassing at all. Let's talk so. about your mom and dad as well. <laughs> now, but like when you were younger, did you have any kind of entrepreneurial spirit? Did you, did you have a lemonade stand, anything like that?
1: So for me, that was, I had to do that. I'm from a family with not a lot of means, if you will. And uh, so for me to have a lot of, you know, like a second pair of Levi's or a, a different pair of shoes, I would do little side jobs, very young. You know, I, I sold tasty donuts, downtown Salt Lake, which is the first and last time I ever got mugged. That was kind of fun as a about 11 year old. I did. Uh, I went and bought a curb painting kit so I could walk around, knock on doors and say, Hey, do you want your house numbers painted on your curb? I think I charged three bucks. I would go around constantly to ask if people needed a lawn mowed, or you know, in the winter if they needed their driveway plowed, or in the springtime if they wanted their gardens rototilled. And I'd go around and do all that stuff. And I still have, I had a funny story. I did I did some yard work for at the time he was the president of Zion's Bank, and uh, you know I don't want to name drop, but I just did yard work, clean their stables. I had to mow, and it wasn't right the first time, so I got told to do it the other way, so it had a nice little pattern to it. And I worked eight hours that day. And when I was ready to leave, they said, okay, well, here's your $8. I'm like, (laughs) excuse me? Uh, Yeah, $8 (laughs) for eight hours of work? And that was hard work. And she goes, well, what do you normally get paid? And I said, well, $3 an hour. Ooh. All right, well. Here's $24, but we're probably not going to call you back. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so that was a fun story. But yeah, to go along, I mean, that's just what I did. I always tried to find something to do. I mean, I worked for the school district and cleaned bathrooms and out of a elementary school for a while. And I worked at Lagoon for four years. Loved it. I uh, worked in the arcade for three of those. I mean, back in the day, that was amazing. And so I had a lot of friends come in and, you know, I'd open the thing with the key and flap, you know, few credits on it. And I was a good friend back then. <laughs> a good friend to have. I bet you had a lot of friends. <laughs> I did. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. So let's go back to getting mugged. Cause I'm, I'm very interested in this. So you, were you working for tasty donuts or would you go buy donuts and then just go resell them?
1: I would actually get in the van with I uh, I can't remember his name, but he owned tasty donut. He would have probably a dozen of us a baker's dozen he would have a bunch of us in the van and we would have a cart or little basket uh filled with uh half dozen bags and we would go out and knock on doors at businesses and i think i was in down by like ninth south and fifth west in that area and there was a tire store there and i had just gone in there and sold a few bags and then i was walking down uh, a back street to another place and two guys came up to me with their knives and took my money and took two bags of donuts. Wow. And then I got in trouble by the owner of the, of tasty's because he thought I stole the money. I'm like, dude, <laughs> check me. I don't have it. <laughs> but there was a couple of the guys were at the tire shop that went running after him, but they didn't catch him. And I learned a lesson. Don't walk down an aisle away in Salt Lake. <laughs> how old were you at the time? I, I think I was about eleven. just eleven years old yeah. so
0: and and did you how did you get this gig with tasty Donuts then Did he he know your family or
1: I think it was word of mouth. We knew someone else that was delivering donuts, and so I, that's how I got involved in that just by hearing of someone else and then I said, hey, I can do that and so he you know brought me on and I did it.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. So, oh, how young were you when you started hustling? Basically,
1: boy, uh, mowing yards as soon as I could. So young, I like would say seven or eight years old. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably maybe nine. Okay. Yeah, and at the time we had a push mower that had the blades that you know rotated. Yeah. And so I would go around and ask people, "Hey, do you have a lawnmower? Can I mow your lawn?" <laughs> because it was much easier that way. But yeah, just little odds and ends, things like that, which it's always been in my blood.
0: Okay. And your motivation was so that you could have things, you it could was. have extra things.
1: Oh, it was have anything Okay, in order to have a pair of pants, uh, you know, cause I had a pair of five o ones, and this allowed me to have two pairs and you know, I'd wear them for a day or two, wash them and wear the other ones for a day or two and wash them. It was, it was tough, uh tough start. For sure. And
0: so you were basically charging almost minimum wage. I don't know what minimum wage yeah. was back when yeah. we were Probably that 325 age. Or 325 or something. 325 yeah. an hour or something like that. Yeah. And then did you gradually progress then? What What was Lagoon paying, for example, in your teenage years?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. It was minimum wage. It was minimum wage. Yeah. Okay. You never got tips or anything? No. No. Okay. But, well, playing games. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got tipped by playing games. Yeah.
1: Nice. We could come in early actually and play games for ourselves for like an hour. So that was super fun. That's awesome.
0: And so were you tracking, like, how did you track your money? Was it just all cash or did you have a bank account? How did you kind of like manage, right? You're you're making obviously and you're Mm -hmm. doing these services, but how did you manage your money?
1: Yeah, I would put it into uh, the local bank. At the time it was Barnes Bank uh, where I grew up and I just made sure I always had money in there, and I was funny talking to my daughter last night about that. And she's like, "Man, I got to start working." I said, "This is your last year. You're a senior this year. Don't just put that out of your mind. We'll take care of it." She goes, "Yeah, but I'm getting down low on my bank account." I'm like, "Well, what do you have? Do you have enough to get you know gas and stuff?" She goes, "Well, I got about a thousand dollars in there." I'm like, "What are you talking about? You're getting low." She's like, "Yeah, I start getting weird if I get below you know." that amount because i know that that's my safety you know and okay that's a good that's a good thought so we'll get you some stuff to do around the house so that you can uh put some more money in your account and if that's your bottom line that's where you need it to be is above that hey more power to you it was different when i was a kid i think i hope to have a hundred bucks in there that was
0: that was a lot of money when you had a hundred dollars in there it was did you have a baseline that you were like it's getting low i've got a to-
1: Yeah, I I had to be, for me, it was $100. $100. I needed to have that in there. And I could go to the handy bank and pull out 20 bucks if I needed it. But 20 bucks went a long ways back then.
0: Yes, it did. So with inflation, a $1,000 is the new baseline for the the next generation, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nice. And so you're working, and then kind of talk about your progression. You're in high school. You're still working. You're working summers, I guess, Mm -hmm. at, at Lagoon. Did you work during school as well?
1: During school, I would clean the elementary school. So that was, you know, after high school, I would go up to, I think it was E.G. King Elementary School. And I think I got eight bucks an hour doing that job. And I'd work three hours every night, uh, Monday through Friday, cleaning the schoolroom, you know, the classrooms, the bathrooms, the halls. It was a good experience. And I say that because it taught me that everything you do can pay money, You know, I mean, I clean bathrooms and I don't mind doing that. I do that now where I'm at. I mean, you know, I sure I'm the founder of the company, but that doesn't mean I sit in my office and do nothing else. That means everything falls on me. At least that's how I look at it. I like I prefer to have a nice place for the customers to come. And so if their bathroom is dirty, I clean it. And I also think that that sets an example for everyone else. So it kind of carries through. I think we've got some really good people that work with us at Aspen. Really good. Uh, very low turnover. Uh, we treat them well and we'll always continue to do that.
0: That's a really cool story. So I, I know you were, you played sports. I did. You, yeah. So how did you manage sports and your job and school? How did you manage all those three, three things?
1: Well, sports generally I had uh, what seventh or eighth period, whatever it was, was sports or track and stuff. And now I did have other, you know, evenings where I'd have track and, Uh, It always seemed to work out between cleaning elementary and going to track meets or running, trying to, you know, I think I joined track, though, for just the reason of being able to get out of school for a minute and go and lay out on the high pit mats and get a tan and hang out with some buddies. And that was fun. The good old days. Right. But uh, and then I, I did okay in track. I didn't focus like I should. Now, Kurt Black. The funny thing with him, you had him on before. He's a runner and has always been a runner that I know of. Um, interesting, uh, you know, when I should be out running, I was in my car going to the mall. And I'm like, hey, look, there goes Kurt, you know, running. So he worked hard to get to where he is. And I'm not saying he's not gifted. He's very gifted. Um, but he also took a lot of effort to get there for him because I saw it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he worked uh, really hard, and that just long-distance running in general is like you have to put the the miles in, right? Yeah, yeah. That's the only way to get good at it. It is. Yeah. Okay, so you graduate high school. What's what's the next step? What's the next evolution of Scott?
1: So the next thing I did, I served a church mission, and I think what I learned on that is how to knock on doors and talk to people. Didn't matter who it was. Didn't matter to me. It was hard at first, sure. But then it turned into, it was actually fun getting to know all the different people. It was just fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, the, the different members of all the different wards. Um, it was an LDS mission, of course. For me, of course, I say that, but, you know, a lot of people don't know that. But anyways, uh, church mission for two years uh, helped me grow up and learn how to, you know, wake up and get going. My dad's always said his, his phrase is, uh, get off your butt and do it. And so that's what I've always done. You know, he kind of called it goy body, but to me, I don't like that. It's just get off your butt and do it. So that's what I've done.
0: What is goy body?
1: Get off your butt and do it. That's it. (laughs) Literally.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Nice. So, uh, okay. So you were, you were very hardworking and industrious from a very young age. Yeah. Okay. And you go on a mission. I'm sure you might have had some companions mm-hmm. that weren't as hardworking as you.
1: Oh, yeah. That,
0: that happens. Would that be the majority of them? Because I, I'm just seeing you as this very hardworking
1: No, not necessarily. I mean, I, was, I felt like I was just getting into a groove back then and uh, realized that uh, I could always do more. Um, and I enjoyed doing what I was doing at the time. So if you enjoy it and you make it a game, it just goes, It goes quick and better and i think you grow more you go and complain constantly that doesn't help anyone especially yourself
0: yeah agreed okay so you come back from your mission and then you this is where the journey begins right this is where the 13 years (laughs) before founding aspen happens this is where the fun
1: started yeah let's let's talk about that okay so uh when i first got back i started working as uh i'm working at a pallet yard right there by uh side of the freeway in Kaysville, Utah. And uh, I was repairing pallets and delivering pallets. Did that for a year and thought this is not going to happen. At the time, what I wanted to do was do that for a while and then go to college. So what I did is I instead had to get a job because I was getting married. And that's another story altogether. Met my wife at the Bay uh, March 3rd. March eleventh, we were engaged. June se or July seventh, we were married, and that was thirty something years ago now. But, anyways, I act quick quick to what's right, if you will. I knew it. She knew it. Anyways, different story. Okay, so go back to pallet yard. Left that and found a job at a printing company as a driver. So I would deliver finished goods, and uh, it was just a little place in Salt Lake City. And the boss saw that I worked hard. So I was a driver for maybe two months and I was happy doing it. It was super chill. I mean, I'd load the truck up. I'd go drive, listen to music, deliver the job, talk to the customers, really enjoyed it. Well, I guess what happened was she found, uh, my boss found, again, like I was working harder than she's ever seen, and so she said, hey, look, I want to teach you how to run a cutter, which is a finishing product, a finishing machine for printing. Uh, did that for a while. Then she goes, "Now nah, I want to have you over here. Let's, let's go learn the cutter or the folder. And so that's where you would take a large sheet, like a 2840 sheet of paper and fold it down to a signature form to make a magazine. And then she says, well, let's teach you how to do pre-press. So I did pre-press for a while. And she says, well, I need a nighttime production manager. I'm like, okay. So I was was always okay. It was always like, yes, I'll do it always. Uh, So I did that for a while. Uh, Then I got back into the day shift in sales. And that for me was like a fish to water. I did well and started really enjoying that and, and making decent money. Then, some things happened at that place that just, it, it didn't pan out. So I went to, at the time, was a very premier printer in Salt Lake City, Precision Litho. And uh, that went well. I got into sales. Actually, first went there, I mentioned I was a print broker a, a short time. And I went there and said, hey, look, I want to I wanna do some print brokering. Can I use you as a vendor? And the owner, he knew me. I had done some like evening work with him as a newlywed. I was working two jobs. So, you know, 12 hours at one, four hours at the other. And, and precision was that job where I was doing folding and cutting in the evenings. And he said, look, Scott, you're a good sales rep. Let's, I'd rather you do that for me than have a print broker, a business. And it was Robin's print management at the time. And I said, okay, the problem is, is that I'm making good money. And he goes, well, what do you need? And at the time, I'm like, I don't know, like 60 grand a year. And he goes, done. And I'll, you know, here's your desk. Come here, start working. And then uh, I'll pay you 60 grand. And when you get above that in commissions, because I'd get 10% on the jobs back then, the commission was starting to get good. And I'd start selling like around $100,000 a month. But I was getting paid $60,000 a month. So it didn't take long for me to go, okay, I'm ready to make the switch. So I made the switch and went straight commission. And after the first year I was among the top sales reps for that company and worked there for three years. And then he kind of started monkeying with the commissions and he was getting ready to sell his company. Uh, so he was trying to keep it all on board so it would be more profitable. So the epitaph was a, you know, he'd get a better multiple, all the above. So I was complaining to one of my customers and uh, he's like, why don't you start your own place? I'm like, Ron, I don't have that kind of money. I can't do that. And he goes, I know a guy. He says, let me, uh, I'll make a meeting. I'll set up a meeting. All right. So I met with uh, Mark Peterson and he was an owner, uh, the owner of Alpine Securities, downtown Salt Lake, who's previously he's passed away. And, uh, but he did very well with us. So I met with him, told him my ideas. He said, Give me a business plan in 24 hours and I'll consider it. So burned the midnight oil, uh, put a business plan together. And coincidentally, I mean, or not coincident, I mean, that business model, business plan was put together with another guy that I was selling with at Precision and also the CFO at Precision at the time. We met at the other sales guy's house and put this all together. So it's funny because now that CFO is still with me and he's our CFO. Uh, but he bought in like not, not long. He's one of the guys not long after I had started the company and.
0: Did the other sales rep also he join did. you?
1: Okay. He came on board too. And that didn't pan out uh, for just different reasons. So he, we bought him out, but uh, he read the, uh, the business plan. He liked it. So he said, okay, I'll, I can come into this. So what are you putting in? And I'm like, uh, I hadn't thought of that. I said, well, I'll get a second on my house. I think I can borrow some money from my parents, who at that time had some money. And I guess the rest is history. You know, I I came in with that. And he said, hey, look, all I want to make sure is that you have skin in the game. Because if you have skin in the game, I know you're going to work hard because you can't lose it. Uh, You were correct. (laughs) So then uh, that's when the foot hit the path and we started going forward. And, you know, first it was eight guys that were there and we rented a 24,000 square foot building in uh, Sandy, Utah, and started bringing equipment in. We bought a press, used everything you need for bindery, cutter, folder, stitcher, and pre-press, and then started producing and it wasn't long before we had another press on the floor and more equipment for bindery. And we were leasing the other half of the building uh, from the people that were in it. Kicked them out. Well, they were moving out. So we took it over. I didn't kick them out. Uh, we took it over. And then we had continued growth at that point. So we were actually, I feel like I'm talking too much. I'm sorry, but uh, if, feel free, this to, is great. Feel, feel free this to jump is great. in. I will. Okay. So we ended up in three buildings at one time, four buildings on another time in that same area. So we call it the Aspen campus. And it was at that time still only like 55,000 square feet, but trying to move things from a to B to C to D building. Was costly was timely. I mean, it was cost us a lot of time. So we started looking around we found a hundred thousand square feet down off 21st South in Salt Lake city. And Moved everything into that building. And wow, the efficiencies went through the roof. We bought a new press, put it in first. So now we have three Heidelberg presses. One of them is the XL106, which is the latest and greatest Heidelberg press. XL105, which is a a UV press. uh, Can also do conventional printing, conventional inks. uh, And another CD press that does like heavy board. They all do heavy board, I should say. So we have the three presses. Uh, full bindery, and then we we were doing so much carton packaging for different customers that we approached one of our vendors that we had been using to do the finishing you know side of that where they die cut it, they fold it, and glue it, and asked that they would sell to us. And we couldn't get to uh, an, a a good price for us because half of the business that he had was our business, so he wanted us to basically buy his company for the work that we were sending there. So it didn't make sense. But then I got to tell you, so this is true for us, for our company, the stars aligned and it happens. It happened quite often over the 21 years. And uh, another company went out of business and he sold his equipment to another company in town. And that company started to liquidate. They They only wanted a portion of the business. They wanted the digital side, which I don't really do anymore. They wanted the digital side. And so they had carton packaging equipment and it had presses, but his, what he told his broker that was selling the equipment, sell it, sell it to anyone except someone here in the Valley in Salt Lake Valley. So we contacted our broker that we've bought stuff for before in North Carolina. He contacted another broker in Atlanta who made the offer for the equipment in Salt Lake they accepted the offer. We sent a truck over, moved it down thirty minutes down south, and we started running our own packaging equipment. At that time, that was fun. <laughs> you know, that was that was, that yeah. was actually a lot of fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you were able to get it anyway. Just we you did. had a, a broker in Atlanta. Yeah, broker of the deal. Yeah, yeah, nice.
1: So we got the equipment.
0: So let's talk. Let's you, you you've. You've compressed like twenty-one years, and, and and maybe even the thirteen years into just just Close. seconds, basically. Close. But let's. Yeah. I want to go back. So you, when you meet your wife at the bay, <laughs> you you are you driving truck or are you a sales salesperson at that point?
1: Um, at that time, I was working at the pallet yard. Okay, so that was just the early
0: days. It was. She knew you when you were. Basically putting pallets together. Yeah. Fixing pallets.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: So you meet her. I've got to, I've got to have this, I got to get the story out because (laughs) I thought uh, my marriage was fast, but yours was even faster. So let's start with, you meet her at the bay. What happens? All right. Love at first sight. Something, right?
1: It was, it was, uh, it was fun. I was going to the bay after the mission, enjoyed it. It was fun. I just like to go let my hair down. We'd go on, down into the the new age room and listen to, you know, Depeche Mode and uh, Oingo Boingo and a lot of older stuff. Right. And I looked out on the dance floor and I saw this girl out there dancing. She had her little black pants on, little white shirt, little V-neck with some red suspenders, a little black hat, blonde hair as can be. And I'm just looking at her. I'm like, and she's dancing with a friend of hers and I'm like, oh, come on, man, get over here. I would like to ask you to dance. And she'd never come off the floor. So I went upstairs and got a napkin from the bartender and wrote on it, will you dance with me? And I went down there and she glanced over and I just held it up. And she comes, comes over, vivaften, and she's like, yeah, come on. So we started dancing, dancing. Uh, had a super time. That was a lot of fun. And I said, well, what are you doing now? You know, it's midnight. She goes, going home. I'm like, well, why don't we go over to uh, D's and get something to eat? And so we go over with her friend and my friend and uh, sit down and have some fries and a Coke or something. And, you know, I mean, I'm a big spender at the time, right? And so <laughs> I said, hey, don't worry. I got this. So that kind of she's like, huh? That was me making, you know, 10 bucks an hour or whatever it was at the pallet yard. Right. Wondering how I'm going to pay for this. But I had the little bit of money saved up, so I paid for dinner. And after that, it was uh, – I, I hadn't met her parents. They were off – in California doing a construction job. And uh, I'm like, well, what are you doing tomorrow? Well, I've got a – I think I have a date with my boyfriend. I'm like, oh, okay. No, 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 we broke up. So my ex-boyfriend. I'm like, Okay. That's cool. So we saw each other pretty much every day uh, that week. And jeez, uh, I'm I, I, I'm gonna say this. It's embarrassing, but I said, um, "Hey, look, I'm doing my uh, uh, family history. Do you mind if I put your name here on the second line?" And she's like, "Wait, what?" I said, "Will you marry me?" And she said, "Yeah." I will still hadn't met her parents, which I, they're gone now. So I can say it. That's a, that's a good thing. I had not met them. <laughs> I'm, joking. I'm joking. They would, have, they would have I'm joking. Said no.
0: Is, is that what you mean?
1: No, that's not what I mean. <laughs> I mean, now that I got to know them, I'm like, mm, okay. But she was nothing like them. <laughs> Sorry, honey. She's going to be pissed, but uh, she was nothing, nothing like her parents, but uh sweet, sweet girl. And uh, we've had nothing but fun for so long. So 30, 34 years. Yeah.
0: So amazing. So you got married. So you asked her within a week and then you got married. How long after you? July
1: asked her? 7th. So March 11th to July, July 7th, th- three months ish. Yeah. Uh, it was funny. Cause she called her parents and said, Oh, Hey, so uh, I'm engaged. And they go, Oh, wait, wait, that's great. Way to go. So is it, you know, Brad. I don't know the guy's name. Is the, it boyfriend? And she goes, mm, "No, it's a guy I met at the bay." And her <laughs> <our> mom's <laughs> like, "Okay, I'm coming home tomorrow." <laughs> and her dad's put him on the phone. So I'm like, "Hello, uh, this is Scott." And uh, we spoke for a little bit, and he said, "Well, let me talk to Kirsten." And so she got back on the phone. He's like. I knew right then he says, he's, he's a good guy. So you're good. This is great. So we did it. Yeah.
0: It's such an, it's such an awesome story. And she's just been with you by your side, this whole journey. She has the whole journey, basically your whole adult life, uh, founding a company and watching, you know, Aspen press grow over the years. Yeah.
1: Sometimes she questions like, you know, are you insane? What are you doing? You know, because we keep putting more and more into this to keep it growing. Uh, We don't take a ton of money out; we leave it in the company because we want the company to grow. And someday it'll be worth you know something to us or the kids or whatever. But in the meantime, we're me and my partners. We're having fun continuing to grow and expand. Uh, Like the recent one was uh, expanding into the flexible market. And what I mean by that is, if you go to Maverick. And you buy a bag of beef jerky and you rip it open and then you can reseal it with the ziploc that kind of stuff that's flexible packaging it is yeah so i mentioned uh, to you that uh, like we were it's big jobs so like i say we got away from doing digital work because we're more focused on the same amount of effort up front but the bigger jobs are much better for the company we had one flexible job that the film was a million feet, so if you do the math, I think it was 189 miles of film for one job. So it just goes to show you if you if you land one of those, the pay is good, uh, the customer's happy, sales reps happy, the customer, uh, I mean the company does well. Uh, whereas the little jobs, you know, I had someone call this week and said they need 500 um, letterhead second sheets and envelopes. I'm like, "Ah, I'm so sorry, but we don't do that anymore. We have 40 inch presses. So we just do large runs. So I will skip over those $100, $200 jobs and bring in, you know, an average of $5,000 job, $5,000 per job. So somewhere along that range, it makes more sense for our company to do that. There are a ton Mm -hmm. of people out there that can do the small runs. So, I mean, even at one point we got into, um, Banners, You know, doing signs, things like that, because we bought a company and that was part of their, their, their resource that they had that they, they produced. But i tell you, people could put those printers in their garage. So we were printing against people that just have a full time job and they did this as a hobby is a couple extra bucks. So we got out of that quickly. Didn't make sense to stay in that market.
0: Because they didn't have any over your competitors didn't have any overhead. so. Right. It was really just a prize play and
1: or employees for that yeah. matter.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let, let's go back to flexible packaging. How, how long have you been in flexible packaging? Is it called flexible packaging? You, that? Right. Okay.
1: you got it right. How, how, how long have you been in that? two to three years? We've been doing it now.
0: Okay. And, and was it because someone came to you and said, I want to do this or did you just decide to go into it? What, what made this, you decide to go into it?
1: This is another time where the stars aligned and I have people contact me daily about opportunities, multiple people on, on some days. And I had this guy reach out to me and say, Hey, look, I, I know a lot about your company and I know what I've been in for the last 30 years is flexible. So the cartons that you're doing, so we do carton packaging. So why don't you just do the carton as well as the film for the product that goes inside, you know, like it's a, if it's a protein box and you have the protein bars I'm like, well, yeah, that makes total sense because then it's a one-stop shop. People can come by. They can, you know, do the press check, look at the color on the box. They can do the same thing and look at the color, make sure it matches, which we, you know, we have tied those colors together so they all match so they don't have to print a box here, then have to fly to, uh, you know, Pennsylvania or somewhere else to do a press check on the film. There are a couple of people in town that do it, but they're national companies and they have big national jobs. So for someone that's trying to get started on something smaller, we're a great resource. We don't do digital flexible packaging. It is large. It's, it's a web. It's a web that is what, 54 inches and roll to roll. So it just, it'll cook. It'll eat through film. I wish I could show you some images, some video, but uh, it'll eat up a lot of film, but that's the other thing. So when we, when we, I met with this guy. He started trying to help us get, you know, knock some doors and talk to some people about doing that. So we would outsource it at that time. So if we had a job, you know, we hired him, he came in, uh, he was our flexible packaging manager and he was helping my sales reps go out and kind of discuss this new opportunity with our customers. And it worked out. So, I don't know how do i say it i mean trying to say it uh the guy didn't work out for us so well but what he did was opened our eyes to the opportunity so we continued along doing that doing some brokering here and there but then we just said all right that's it let's do it so we bought uh the web press a laminator a slitter two slitters actually now and we have three pouching machines so what that means is they have uh, the films printed. Then we slice it so that it will go through the uh, pouching machine. And that's where it's converted. And that's where the Ziploc, if you will, is put on it and made into a bag.
0: Is it melted in, into it? or It like, is. Okay.
1: Yeah. And then we send those to the co-packers that uh, have ordered the job or the customer that's ordered the job. And they'll pack it. So so that's where our GMP certification came into effect. We have to have that. What is GMP good manufacturing practice okay Uh, so it's hair nets, it's you know beard nets and everything that comes along with that uh, meaning you have people come in and do inspections it has to be clean so we made a whole new clean room of 20,000 square feet to do the flexible side so the film comes in we print it then we wrap it and then we send it down to the co-packers they fill it with product you know I'm just, I mean, taffy or jerky or whatever, what have you. We do a ton of stick packs. And you know what those are, right? I mean, stick packs, uh, if I yeah. want to have like a, a, like a zip fizz, but not the hard thing, but it's a leather one, like a uh, UV, oh gosh, hydration, but, like a hydration you pack. you put in your water Yeah, you, put in, you pour it in your water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a stick pack. Okay. So you can flavor your water and get the, you know, whatever supplements they put into it. Mm-hmm. Lots of millions of stick packs. Cause I guess we like those. I do.
0: But it's like, so you're doing the bag that the, the the actual material goes in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so when, when that comes off the press, you have, if it's 54 inches, like how many does that, it depends how, on how the, many sticks does that
1: make? Yeah. It depends on the size. Cause a lot of them are just a little bit different, but uh, it's 54 inches wide. So we'll do multiple up. And a lot of the people have like a, a six count or a 12 count uh, machine that will pack. So then that would mean we would send them the film in six or 12, you know, per that's where the slitters come into effect is we'll slit the film and give it to them how they want it and how their machine will run it. So, like I say, we don't do the packing ourselves. We don't have to worry about the product. we don't have to do all that fun stuff. Fortunately, that's a whole new animal. We're not, we're not doing that.
0: (laughs) Are you, are you going to eventually do it or no? No.
1: No, no, we just stick with printing. Yeah. Okay.
0: So explain again, so your capabilities, you've got carton packaging and that would just be like boxes, Mm -hmm. like cardboard or
1: not cardboard. So, uh, okay. There's uh, like a, just a protein bar, like say built bar. I don't know if I can drop names, but like built bar or something like that, that you go to, you know, any store and you buy, it's just like 24 point board. Uh, up to It's a know. little
0: box that all the built bars are in. Yeah, around. and
1: then you'd have a little zipper on it, so you just undo it and pop it open with a little perf and then pull your bar out whenever you want it. Or a lot of times it's in stores on the, on the shelf and they sell them individually, where that's where they'll just open the perf up and have like a little pop-up POP so that mm-hmm. you can kind of see what, yeah, little display on it.
0: So originally, before you got into Flexible, you were doing the carton uh, packaging and then those cartons were being... They sent off Delivered to, same, to somewhere else. To the
1: same co-packers that were doing the film. Yeah.
0: Okay. That were doing uh, flexible mm-hmm.
1: packaging. Okay.
0: And the reason why people would, would um, use you instead of doing, going to someone that did both at the time is, is, is because of cost or there wasn't, weren't people around in Utah doing that? So or?
1: the co-packers don't do any of the print themselves. All they worry about is the product that goes into the box or the bag. And And so they would just have two vendors then they would. Yeah, they would. So a lot of times I'm just doing boxes, you know, back in the day for a special product. And then we said, Hey, uh, we can now do the film. Do you want us to give you a price on that too? Heck yeah. You guys are great to work with. So it wasn't much to talk a lot of these people into uh, giving us a shot. And then, then it's, we would give them a test roll they would try it out and we would print one and say, okay, here you go. Try this out see how it works in your machine. And what we found is the guys that we hired to run that department know more than a lot of the other people around. They've got some serious experience and they would find that our film ran better than what they were using already. So it wasn't much of a sale. It was very easy. All we had to do is get in the door, get them a sample product roll. And then we found, here it comes. So we we keep buying machines, trying to keep up. Okay, keep adding shifts.
0: And then, so carton packaging, flexible packaging, and then regular big press runs of brochures. What mm-hmm. what kinds of things do you print on your big presses? Then,
1: yeah, uh, well the the packaging goes on those, but the commercial print, uh, you know, magazines, uh, ma- uh, catalogs, brochures. You say flyers. We do a lot of uh, top sheets that go onto cardboard. So, you know, like if you ordered a treadmill or something, it'd have a picture of the treadmill. So I will print stuff like that and send it to whoever's doing the cardboard and i will glue it to the box. Do a so lot of a that.
0: It so it's a big t- print. It's a, bigger than a poster to go on a big
1: 20 mil. 28 post. by 40, typically. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, anything ink on paper, uh, we can do as long as it's not too small. <laughs> We used to be able to do the small stuff, but uh, it didn't make se- sense for us to stay in that area.
0: And so, and and explain to some people, because I, I don't think a lot of people have been to a press like Aspen Press where they actually have presses, but kind of try to describe the difference between digital printing, which all Kinko's of, us, all of or, us can do at home or yeah. go to Kinko's. That's a good example of digital printing, right? You can quickly just give them a file. They print it out. They've got, is it, just called a digital printer or whatever. And they can print those things out. Sometimes they can print sort of bigger sizes, but explain the difference between that and your big presses. Like how describe how big these are, like what kinds of rolls of paper you use and how much ink you put in the ink. They're not cartons, but I don't know. They're more like drums. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, and explain film and how you have to make film on, metal i guess should i be
1: taking notes here yeah i don't know you you're
0: (laughs) (laughs) just describe the the process because i don't think a lot of people understand the work that goes into producing a magazine for example
1: yeah okay so if you go to kinko's what you're going to have is you're going to have an option to get an 1117 sheet now i they do sub work out so a lot of people go there and they do the larger runs but then kinko's or any of those other places will send the work to me Then they'll put a markup on it and sell it back to the customer. But what they're designed to do is smaller, full-color runs on a machine that uh, you've seen them when you walk in there. They look like big copiers. That's really all they are. Now, for me, uh, when we got our first press, it took three semis to bring it in. I think it weighs 55 tons, as I recall. It's quite large.
0: And was it a Heidelberg?
1: It was. Okay, we've and, always gone with Heidelberg.
0: And is that actually a city in Germany? It or is.
1: I've been there; it's super cool.
0: And that's where these are built. It is. Okay. Yep,
1: yeah. I went and toward the facility where they make them and the uh, where they have the metal made and everything. It's it's all right there, but uh, those presses are big. They're really big. Now, I can mention my website. You can see me kind of walking around the shop. This is our old facility. And our old website that's about to be taken down. We've been working on a new one that's going to kick off. But if you want to, you can go to aspenpress.com and you can see me kind of do a tour so you can see how big those presses are to give you an idea.
0: So you give a rough estimate. I mean, is it half a football field long? No, no, like no, that's not quite. 25 yards, something, 10 yards. Yeah.
1: You know, I don't know. I mean, probably, it's probably 60 feet. Okay. Yeah. Um, So six basketball stands. Yeah. From end to end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. About 60 feet, I'd say. Just guessing. But yeah, I mean, in order to put those things down, they're so heavy. Uh, We had uh, all the buildings that we're in, we've had to pull up the, you know, six, eight inches of cement and have an engineer come in and look at the soil underneath. We'd have to compact the soil so it hit a certain amount of pressure. Then we'd bring in rock. Uh, and then we would bring in about four feet of cement with double one-inch rebar, in order to put the press on it. And it couldn't be tied to the floor because the press is so violent. If it was, I mean, it's for, it doesn't look like it, looking at it, but it's it's running sixteen thousand sheets an hour of twenty-eight forty or thereabouts. I mean, it 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 cooks. So you can't tie it directly to the floor. You can't rebar it together. It needs to be on its own little island, if you will. And by doing that, it uh, doesn't vibrate the whole building. And that four feet of cement doesn't crack. (laughs) It's thick. Do you know some
0: specific examples of people buying a press and putting it down and, I don't know, having it? sink into the ground or do something crazy
1: what happens is these things are so precise that i do know people that have put presses onto like an eight inch floor thinking oh this is fine as it starts running you get a little crack then all of a sudden you get like a quarter inch crack well you can't have that i mean literally everything is so specific and has to be so tight that if you get that little movement you could muff up your whole press and it costs Hundreds of thousands to fix that. I mean, I think uh, our first press was used. We bought a new one. I mean, I think the most expensive press we bought was probably around $3 million. And now we have three of them. Stupid. Again, this is the guy that repaired pallets. But uh, it's hard to wrap my head around that a lot. But those are, you don't want to be messing around with that. You want to make sure, you know, you put the whatever, forty grand into the engineering and the pad for the press, because then you don't have to worry about it. But if you put it on that floor, that's all your risk. You'll have to sign waivers from Heidelberg that, no, we're, we're good with this floor because they're not going to come in and fix it. They'll come in and fix it.
0: But it's going to cost you
1: <laughs> cost a lot you of money. A lot.
0: Okay. And and so you have this 60 foot press and it's super heavy because it's made out of metal mm-hmm. and it's got a lot of moving parts. And then you put, in in order to, for example, do a magazine on these large sheets of paper, you have to create film. What is the process to create that film?
1: So we don't do film anymore. We're direct-to-plate. So we still do the pre-press, and then we'll send a digital proof to the customer and then a hard proof for color. And that's where the G7 comes into the picture here. The G7 matches color from here to New York on other presses that are g7 certified so if we have a product that's going into like home depot uh it's a a very specific orange you know a pms color that you use for that and everyone uses the same thing so it doesn't matter where you're at but if you're not up to if your press isn't up to run in g7 certification then what happens is they will stop using you for one because your color is going to be a little bit different than everything else that's on a shelf so not just for Home Depot, but for all the product that goes on their shelves. Uh, the way it works is it's a big aluminum plate. So it images to the plate and you have cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Those are the four colors that will create almost everything except for the specific colors. I can get close doing, using those colors to like a lot of the specified, like a Staples Red or a Home Depot Orange or, you know, all those fun things, but. Once you have the plate, you hang those on the press. The press has six units, so you have two options at the end, so you can run some PMSs with the poor color. And then the sheets go through the press kind of like uh, just, you know, print, print. So these are large print.
0: rolls of paper.
1: They're big, they're, and, they're, and they're not rolls, they're sheets. They're sheets, okay. Mm-hmm. Big
0: sheets that are going through the process and getting yeah. inked, basically. Each, each
1: time it goes through one unit, the other unit, it has little tick marks they'll line up perfectly the next one same thing same thing so that when you get through it looks like it's a picture of it's a photo of something but it was just four colors printed on top of each other and if you ever have a chance to get like a magnifying glass you can look in a magazine and see the different dot patterns and you can see there's a yellow there's a red there's a blue and there's a black just by looking at it you can see it but you can't see it with your naked eye i can't anyway i'm getting old awesome yeah you nod your head you're getting old too yeah
0: (laughs) you can pretty much look around any room and see anyone that's over 40 because they have uh usually have reading glasses on (laughs) so every meeting i'm like you're over 40 you're over 40 you're over 40 (laughs) yeah truth that's how it works yeah okay well i i love uh geeking out on on kind of the the whole process of getting something printed and it's so fun to go into a press to do press checks and just it's just an atmosphere it's some sort of like something's being made here right just like we came into kiln and it's like you yeah. get this kind of creative vibe i feel like when you go do a, a you know you're going to go proof something that's being printed at at some place like Aspen Press it's the same kind of vibe and and do you feel like your employees feel like they're making something and that they're creating something.
1: They feel creative these, at their work. Yeah. These guys are experts. I mean, you can't just put some, some guy off the street onto these things. It takes years to learn what these guys can do. So it is, it is a talent. And I have people, customers come in and say, Hey, I want, uh, you know, I want Scotty to run this, or I want Dave on this one because he ran it before, and we've had nothing but problems with other places, but Dave, he's he nailed it, or Scotty nailed it, or yeah. So you get your your key people in place, which we've done. It took some time to get those people, but we're very happy with the way things have turned out. The product's great. Our presses are top of the line. I mean, I've worked at other places where you have Akiyamas or you know, uh, just different kinds of presses. They just don't have the same. Capabilities as a Heidelberg, I mean Heidelberg is the cat's meow of presses. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be people out there that are haters and say, no, it's KBA or no, it's uh, you know the, the yeah. Anyways, but in my experience, in thirty something years of doing this, Heidelberg is the best press. So that's what we bought, and that's what we patterned our you know whole business after is that we have top of the line equipment and top of the line talent and the rest you know it just kind of just happens it's a good selling point
0: what's the the best piece of business advice you've ever been given oh boy
1: business i mean uh, i'd have to think about that i don't know I'd work hard <laughs> you know i mean uh, i mean i really don't know i mean um, be honest I think the uh, the investor originally, you know, he says, look, I, I will be right there with you as long as you're always 100% honest with me. And so we've done that. And, and, you know, if there's a problem on the press, we pick up the phone and talk to our customer right away and say, hey, look, we had an issue. We're getting it right back on. This is not your problem. We had a problem with a, something on the press or something, you know, in pre-press. And we noticed it. So we're going to fix it. Now, then you do have the other times where the customer's wrong, and hopefully you catch that in the proofing stage, and not always you do. But, uh, yeah, being honest and being, I mean, not hiding from it. I, I mean, there's people out there, it's hard. It's hard to tell someone bad news. But if you can just do it, get off your butt and do it, you know? I mean, seriously, that that that's the easiest way. Otherwise, you go home, you lose sleep, and you stress about it, and, you know, Home life is not going to be good because you're so worried about the phone call you, you got to make eventually just make the phone call. Just be honest right up front with your customers.
0: You've worked with a, a lot of different people over the years and hired people, probably had to fire people, all those kinds of things. What, what do you think the, the single uh, most important thing for someone getting into any job to, to progress in a job? What do they need to do to impress you, to uh, advance at their job?
1: Look, if you can come in and keep a smile on your face and work hard all day, that's number one. Number two, don't complain. And if you complain, find out really what you're complaining about. So if there's an issue somewhere else in the shop, deal with that back there. It doesn't always have to go upstairs to to, to have us fight the battles. So that's a key thing for me, for an employee, if an employee can take care of it it's themselves and they stand out right away, they really do. Uh, but if they can take care of it themselves, they're going to, they're going to be a good employee. If they're not always in your office, Hey, so-and-so did this or Hey, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, go talk to them about it or go talk to your manager. Make sure it doesn't happen again. That's easy. And that's a good employee right there. I mean, someone, Clearly, with the industry I'm in, you have to have the talent too. You have to have the know-how. So, but we bring people in as press helpers, and we have other, you know, lead pressmen that teach them and and have taught them over the years. And they will continue to move up. Eventually, they will be the pressmen, and they have been in the past. So that works too.
0: I love uh, what you said earlier about a customer saying, "I know a guy." And I've heard recently it said, and it's actually, I found out today it was a book, it's a book title, uh, that your network is your net worth. Can you talk about that a little bit about over the years, how knowing someone really helped either open doors. I know someone knowing someone helped you get started to found Aspen Press, Mm -hmm. but how has that played out, uh, throughout your career?
1: I would say uh, I guess to answer that, uh, we have good happy customers, and from that come a lot of referrals. So we have, uh, hey, I need you to call my buddy over here. He's got a magazine to get he needs to get done right away. So we'll step up and get it done for him right away. and but yeah, a lot of uh, word of mouth, a lot of stuff like that happens. Uh, for me personally, just trying to think of you know going to that investor, for a long, long time, we'd sit down as a, a management team after work and discuss how the day went, and we would just bounce ideas around. And that was crucial in the beginning because we took care of things. If there was a problem, yeah, we've had to let people go, unfortunately, but some people don't fit the mold, and they'd prefer to sit on their phone you know, and play games on it and then wait for something someone to call. or It's like, that's not what this is. Uh, like I guess I learned that at Lagoon. I had a good manager, and what he taught me was, hey, if I come around, I don't want to see you swinging the keys for the machines. If you're helping someone, that's great. If you're not, grab a bottle of Windex. Pick up a broom. Just look busy. If you look busy when I'm there, I'm happy. It's not the same way. I hate to see people you know, milling around when there's things that can get done. And if we can all work together and get those things done, I don't know where, how this got to that. But anyways, then it's less work for someone else at the end, and it's done. Uh, okay, what were we saying? We are talking about other people. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's really good advice for people. And we're, we're running out of time. I wanted to ask you just a few more questions, and then I've got a lightning round set of questions, too. So what, what do you feel like your superpower is? I mean, I would say just from the outside looking in, it's hard work but do you feel like you have some kind of superpower, some kind of super talent that you bring to the table at Aspen?
1: I used to, it was uh, waking up at four in the morning and going to work and picking up another job at four in the afternoon and working until nine o'clock uh, and then doing the same thing the next day. I, It's just amount of effort you put in is the amount of, you know, whatever you are, you're going to get back, whether it's good or bad. If I put in a lot of good effort, a lot of good things happen. If I, go to work and all I'm doing is picking up a broom, a broom. We have a clean place. That's it. Yeah. Hope that helps. It
0: does. <laughs> is there a book that you recommend to people?
1: Uh, I've been asked this before. You know, I've read a lot of books, a lot of self-help a long time ago. I don't do it so much now. I think if I was to read a book now, I'd rather just sit down and read Harry Potter. That's one of the books that I've enjoyed and, and can actually read through and, and relaxing Now, I've had other books and other people that I've taken courses from. And it's funny because a lot of these guys, they're good teachers, but they really don't have in a trench experience. So for me, and I'm listening to them like, well, wait a second. I wouldn't do it like that. I would do it like this because if you do it that way, for example, in sales, the hardest part to do is to get past the gatekeeper, the secretary at the front desk, right? I mean that's that's really you got to get past that person to find out who you actually need to talk to. If it's not a referral. If it's a referral, it's easy. Hey, you know, I'm supposed to meet Jack. Okay, no problem. But if you're making a cold call, there's several ways to do it in my opinion. And a lot of the guys that write books, do it wrong. I mean, for me, uh, uh, for one, this is a trick. Is you go in before the gatekeeper gets there. Doors are usually unlocked because decision makers are there. Hey, uh, I'm not sure who I should talk to. Um, can you point me in the right direction? So you just skip that step without making them look bad. Or two, you just you know bounce in and say, Hey, look, I know you're busy. Uh, this is what I have. I'm a printer. I'd love if you could pass this along to someone. That's all I ask, and that works too. But I don't know. The guys with the books, they do it differently. They just, they try to leapfrog that person. Well, then what happens is it pisses them off and you're never going to really go far because they're there for a reason, you know, I don't know. So reading books and I've gone to seminars now, I mean, Tony Robbins, great. You know, he's a good motivator, right? And he's done a lot of good. He's done a lot of good for a lot of people, but I don't know. It's just, it's good for me if I listen to that, then I go out and hit the road and knock on a lot of doors. But yeah, I hope that, I, I don't know how else to answer that. I don't. I, well,
0: you learned by doing. Yeah. So school of hard knocks, working hard. That's how you learned how to build a business. True. Yeah. It's, it's amazing an amazing story so here's a lightning round uh set of questions for oh, you boy. scott i i think you you know these are coming because you've listened to a couple of podcasts but what's your favorite candy bar oh milky way favorite
1: music artist um i like the 80s stuff uh as far as artists probably pet shop boys that's a go-to for me and more recently i enjoyed cold play quite a bit so from the 80s
0: the new wave stuff that yeah that you were listening to when you first. So if I met get my car when you first met your wife.
1: If I get my car, it's, it's 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 alt nation. It's eighties or it's chill. I like chill. Sometimes after a day of work, that's a good one to listen to.
0: Love alt nation.
1: Yeah. Favorite cereal. Uh, Cinnamon toast crunch. Isn't that everyone's?
0: I think it's been mentioned before <laughs> on the podcast. Mac or PC? Uh, Mac. Google or Microsoft. Microsoft dogs or cats?
1: Yeah, I have one of each. Uh, I prefer the dog. Uh, cat's pretty cool too. She's fun to tease.
0: <laughs> <laughs> phantom or lame is
1: uh, phantom phantom for me.
0: What's something that most people don't know about you?
1: Well, I guess that they don't know. They don't need to know. But, uh, gosh, that's a good question. Um, I like cars. I've had a few. Um, if you name a car, I probably have had it. I probably had it because uh, that's something I enjoy. I, I also enjoy collecting sneakers. Um, a lot of people don't know that. If you work closely with me, you do. But, uh
0: Yeah like basketball sneakers like Jordan's,
1: Jordan's LeBron uh Penny you know those kinds of things just stick in my closet I got way more than I need
0: what what's the favorite car you've ever owned
1: gosh okay you help me out here because they've had they've been a lot of fun Uh, I'm driving the Audi RS5 right now which is really fun had a GTR and that was fun. I think, I, you know what, I think the funnest car I've ever had was a Challenger Hellcat Red Eye. Um, tickling 800 horsepower. And I had that one going on a closed course, uh, 201 miles an hour. Wow. That was fun. I'll show you a video after if you'd like to see, wanna it. see it. I want
0: to see it. <laughs> is it on YouTube? Can we share it with the, the uh, audience? You know,
1: I think I did put it on there at one point, but I, I probably took it off. <laughs> okay. You didn't want anyone knocking on your door. Right? No, no. <laughs>
0: <Dude>. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Scott, for being gen- so generous with your time. Uh, I've learned a lot from our discussion. Your entrepreneurial journey is just amazing. And I loved hearing about how hard you've worked your whole life. Um, I I I guess my last question for you would be, What's next for you and Aspen Press and over the next 10 to 20 years, what does that look like for you?
1: I think we're just going to keep going ahead at a certain point. Uh, You know, recently, so I was the CEO for the first 20 years of the company. Uh, January of this year, I asked my longtime friend and business partner, Mark Mandel, to take the reins. And I think he's done and is doing an amazing job. It's things that he just does just a little bit different than how I did. But because of that, it's allowed me to have more time. So I'm, a, I'm out meeting with sales reps again, going out and meeting customers. I mean, having, I have some of my own customers now that I'm starting to try to build some sales again. And it's less stressful that way. Sure, I still own a lot of the company. Yeah, the lion's share of the company. But it's fun to see what Mark's going to do. I can't wait to see what he's going to do. But uh, I guess answering your question, I'll probably stay involved. and But just slow down a little bit, you know, and... Someday I'll probably say, okay, guys, I'm going to come in four days a week. You know, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. Yeah, that's it.
0: But you're still uh, planning on working as as much as you can over the next 10 years.
1: I still enjoy it. Yeah. That's awesome. Still enjoy it. Still enjoy meeting with all the fun people down there. That's
0: really cool. So again, Scott, thank you uh, for being generous with your time. Uh, and I wish you so much continued success in the coming years with all your personal stuff on the side. I hope you can break 210 miles an hour at some point, (laughs) but I also, uh, you know, hope that Aspen Press continues to grow and you keep enjoying your job.
1: No, I appreciate that. And Kyle, it's fun to see you be successful as well. It's fun to be, I have seen you do several things through the years and it's fun to see you keep growing too. So keep going.